Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Fish Bites. Of course, this is Fish Stripes podcast produced by SB Nation. And my name is Danny Martinez. Always love being with you guys. We have a lot to talk about today. We have a lot to talk about today because, quite frankly, the Marlins gave us a lot to discuss. Obviously, we're going to start off with our brief recap. We're also going to take a look at some news, some which was shocking, some which was not as surprising as some may think, whether it's Chip Bowers being fired, whether it's Lewis Brinson being demoted. We'll make sure to hit, and I'll give you my my thoughts on both of those moves. We're also going to look at two dialogue questions that were sent my way, the first being my thoughts on the, on the shifting that's taking place. The Marlins have been shifting defensively a lot this year. What do I think about that, whether it's working or not? And then we're going to finish up with a question that was just sent my way today, but it's relevant. Um, you know, there's this theory, or not even a theory, there's this there's this flavor of panic that's happening right now in this fan base. And it's not just about this season, it's about the plan and it's about the future. And I'm going to take a look at some of the merits behind the fans panicking over this rebuild and also comparing some other year to rebuild and seeing if maybe this panic is a little bit premature. So we're going to we're going to see and we're going to wrap up with that conversation because if you log into Twitter right now and you look at some fans, man, it's not pretty. And I get it that right now the on on field is also not pretty, but I would expect most of us to have a concept of what year two is going to look like. And it's not excusing the play, but we're going to see what other year twos have also looked like around the league and whether those fans that panicked at that time look back and still agree with their original assessment of what was happening. Nonetheless, we're going to dive right in and we're going to start with the recap of the week, which is actually going to be pretty dynamic because as I'm recording this, the Marlins are still playing. Brian Anderson just now actually uh, tied the game up in the eighth inning with a with an RBI single over to left field. So we'll see how that game ends up. Maybe it'll go into extras while we're recording, but we do know what they have done previously. They have split the first series of this week with the Indians, meaning that that season series where they had two at home and two away was split at two and two. They lost the first two of this weekend series to the Braves. And quite frankly, the Braves are who we think they are. And the Marlins offense is who we think they are as well. We'll see if they can salvage one game here on Sunday. The upcoming week actually is rather interesting. They have a four game series at Wrigley against the Cubs, of course. It's always fun going to Wrigley. It's always fun seeing it on TV. We have a uh, a nice afternoon game as well, which is something that if you ever go to Chicago, go to an early afternoon game at Wrigleyville. Then they're going to finish that week with a weekend series at the Mets. It's always interesting playing the Mets as well. They're, they're somewhat of an interesting case. They're a team that earlier this year, not earlier this year, over the offseason, they could have chosen to rebuild. Some individuals on Mets Twitter and even some of their own media were considering and, and putting that out as a theory. You know, maybe instead of going for it, this was before all the trades were made, we should rebuild and take the course that other successful rebuilding teams have taken. They did not. They obviously chose the antithesis of the Marlins. They went and they got a Robinson Cano. They gave up top prospects to get him and Edwin Diaz. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the two trajectories of these organizations go forward as they each chose their path within one year of each other, choosing very different paths. Our trending pitcher and position player of the week is, you know, not a lazy response here, but it's the truth. I'm just going to need you to copy and paste and, and go ahead and replay what you heard last week. I, I won't even waste too much time on it because there's too much dialogue to discuss. But listen, Caleb Smith is the guy again. And Jorge Alfaro, just two for three day yesterday, 
he's he's again the the, the choice you know this is unfortunately something that will uh, will likely happen <laughs> it will likely happen that especially on the offensive side, we're going to be recycling these names quite often. And since last week we went in depth on some of the red flags with Adfoto's game and some of the things protecting against him, I won't bore you with that same type of information. Again, I'll just say, go listen to last week and you're going to get the same type of info. Caleb Smith, again, was solid. Again, using that changeup like we had discussed to get pitchers out or to get hitters out and to induce weak contact. Um, contact. So really nothing there to add. Just go ahead and listen to last week's and you're going to get a good concept of who this pitcher and position player of the week would be, which means that we have a lot of time to discuss the dialogue segment for this week. Starting off with the news where I will assuredly promise you that my first reaction was utter shock. I was shocked that Chip Bowers was let go by the Marlins and by this organization. And as I'm recording now, I still don't quite frankly understand it. And I don't believe it. And I don't think that um, I don't think that we're ever going to get an answer with that. You know, we got a very executive, respectful answer. You know, we everyone on this organization has to be on the same path. The the performance wasn't what we expected. We expect a lot from our executives. And I understand all of that. But I don't think that the genuine sincerity for the reason of this termination is there. And, and we're going to use a lot of hindsight here. We're also going to use a lot of, and I'll be the first to say, we don't have all of the context and we don't have all of the information. So for me to pretend that I do, uh, it would be false. It would be a fallacy. I don't know who actually was responsible for the rebranding and the beautiful upgrades in the stadium. Was it Adam Jones, who has now been promoted to chief revenue officer per Craig Mish? Really, this entire segment is off of the reporting done by Craig Mish. Is, is it Caroline O'Connor, which is now the chief operating officer, the COO? Or was it Chip Bowers? And now we're simply saying that it was Adam Jones and others because we've let go of Chip Bowers. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. And I will not pretend to know that I have that information because I don't. Because when I've met with Chip Bowers, when I've spoken with Chip Bowers, he has been amazing. You know, now to try to label him as a figurehead rather than someone who was active in what was happening is a hard sell. It's a hard sell for me and it's a hard sell for the fan base. And when you don't have all of the information, when you don't know if he was actually just a figurehead and all of these plans had started before he came along or whether he was the person that most of us perceived to be as the, the, the spearhead, the control point, the command officer, basically of all of this, it looks, and, and, and forgive me for this. It looks like the first time that this organization and this new ownership has done a very Loria esque move. There's a lot of question marks here and I'm just being honest and blunt. The one thing that this organization, for as hard as a lot of media members had tried to paint it as a circus with the rebuild and everything, it really wasn't. A circus was the Loria years, was the Samson years, was years before. But this was the first time where it tasted like a circus move, where you take this guy who is very well respected who seems to be the figurehead, but not just a figurehead, his hands are in what's happening. Successful rebranding, retail um, of the rebranding is, is really well received and, and, and high above expectations. The store is always sold out because people are buying the new logo. 
the success he's on he's every interview was chip bowers talking about the the rebuilds and we're going to build this from the bottom up and the upgrades are going to be fantastic and then you see the fans loving the upgrades we have we have loved what they've done with the stadium if you ask a, a a fan, what do you think about the business side of this versus the baseball side of this? You know that 100 out of 100, I got to say, the business side has been fantastic. That might not be the same thing with the baseball operation side. And then the man who is, from a fan's perspective, the top boss on the business side is now terminated. Now, to be fair to the Marlins, uh, Wells Dustin Barry from the Sun Sentinel wrote a great piece well before anyone knew that Chip Bowers was was fired, I believe over a month ago, if not more, uh, How about how Adam Jones, again, now the chief revenue officer, was actually the person that we should be paying attention to when it comes to the rebranding, when it comes to the stadium upgrades. This was written well before anyone would have even thought that Chip Bowers would be gone. So there might be truth to it, right? If that piece had not been written, then we could say, oh, wow, how coincidental that now that Bowers is gone, he actually didn't have his hand in all this stuff. He was just a figurehead. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe that piece makes it a little bit uh, more palatable, the move, but, but by no stretch am I saying that I was expecting this or that anyone was expecting this. Now, of course, there's also optics involved here because when that's a move that you do, everyone's going to say, well, how do you expect Chip Bowers to bring up revenue and attendance with the on-the-field product? How do you expect Chip Bowers to go get naming rights and a TV deal with the on-field product? It's a very easy, like you're setting yourself up for that type of question and lineage of question. Because, of course, you can't expect Chip Bowers to do this with the on-field product the way that it is. Which is why if you would have asked me a week ago, who's the safest executive other than the ownership group, Bowers would have been the guy. Bowers would have been the guy for me. That would have been my response. So incredibly surprising, incredibly surprising. If Adam Jones really is the one who was the spearheader of all of this, okay, good. It's a good promotion. He's the guy that's been doing this. Go ahead. But it's a hard sell that Bowers didn't have his hand in all of this. And yes, to clarify, the Marlins did say this is not about attendance. This is not necessarily about revenue. We're just not all on the same plan. Everyone has to be on the same path and plan and, and whatever the case may be. But nonetheless, it is very surprising. So Chip Bowers, you know, I wish you the best. I, I wish Adam Jones the best and, and Caroline O'Connor. I, I, we want this organization to succeed. There's no doubt about it. But yes, this was easily for me the first move where it felt Loria-esque. Like there was something else that wasn't being said and, and that transparency wasn't what we needed it to be. Now, I could be wrong. I, I started this off by saying I don't have the information. This is just an opinion. This is an outside perspective. But if I have this perspective, I'm going to safely assume that a lot of fans and a lot of individuals in the media share it. Chip Bowers fired this week. What was the news that did not shock us? Well, it was on the baseball side. Lewis Brinson was demoted to AAA, right? I, I referred to this in the last podcast. I said, and actually Fishstripes put out a great article on it. It's not only that Lewis Brinson is failing, it is also that the Marlins are failing Lewis Brinson. And maybe this is the first step towards fixing that. 
um, you know, the Marlins were failing Lewis Brinson on, on, a, on a good amount of things. And I know that my personal opinion, the one that's most controversial for me, and I get attacked every time I say this on Twitter and it's okay, I will keep saying it, is Mattingly's handling of, of, of Brinson. Stop hitting him in front of the pitcher. I, I don't care if he needs to learn how to lay off off speed. I don't care if he needs to learn how to lay off of swings in, out of the zone. Stop hitting a 24 and a half year old. Well, he's about to be 25, but still only six months older than the average rookie behind or in, rather in front of the pitcher. I actually much rather you hit him behind the pitcher, hit him ninth, hit the pitcher eighth and hit your develop, developmental 24 year old about to turn 25 year old that you got in a centerpiece for freaking Christian Yelich. Hit him anywhere except in front of the pitcher. But that's not the only way we failed him developmentally. If he is struggling last year, he should have gone down at some point. He didn't. They put him out there every day. They wanted him to learn. Okay, so be it. If he starts again this year, he sh- it's, it's the same thing. I, I still think we waited too long. I still think that he should have gone down a little bit earlier before we crush this 25-year-old, about to be 25-year-old, developmental trajectory and confidence. But nonetheless, they finally did it. So they demoted him to AAA. Actually, interestingly enough, his first game, he hits an RBI double. Great stuff to see. Uh, let him get consistent at bats. Let him get his rhythm back. Let him do it against what I like to call the two lessers. The two lessers is one, it allows him to reset against lesser talent. And it allows him to work, refine, and adjust the mechanics and his swing with lesser pressure. There's something about working on your mechanics against Scherzer that probably isn't as great about working your mechanics in AAA. There's something about you being a 24-year-old who strikes out, and whether you check Twitter or not, or whether there's only 5,000 fans or 10,000 fans, you get booed, and there's a million tweets about how you need to be demoted versus you being in New Orleans and not a living soul realizing that you struck out two times. Lesser talent, lesser pressure. What you're hoping to see in Lewis going down is, one, his old hitting coach just helping him out a little bit, getting him back to that rhythm, less movement in the hands, less of a hitch in his swing. There's, I mean, the approach, of course, the psychological aspect of just being demoted, but also, again, less pressure. You're looking for a lot of things. And what you're looking for is for Lewis Brinson at age 24 to show that he's still a part of this future. Because that's not what was being shown at the major league level. At the major league level, you have Brian Anderson, you have Jorge Alfaro, you have the baby face aces, maybe a few hands or arms in the bullpen, and that is it. It used to be that Lewis Brinson was part of that equation. The hope is that now that he's being sent down, now that he should get consistent plate appearances, he finds that rhythm again. Listen, this is a young developmental player who has dominated every single level that he's gone to except the major leagues yes danny obviously yes that's the most important one i I grasp that he's also someone that has repeated years and the years that he's repeated that level he's dominated it has struggled early on and then dominated it the hope was that that would have happened at the major league level this year but it didn't so you go and you reset with a lesser talent with a lesser pressure but make no mistake, if you're down in AAA, you have to prove that you're also not part of the lesser talent. Because if not, that's another hole to be filled. 
And no, it won't be filled by necessarily the Isaac Galloways of the world, but it will be filled eventually. Time will eventually run out. Which, for what it's worth, is why I finally tip my hat that the Marlins actually made the move. I wouldn't have blamed them. I would have from a baseball perspective, but from an optics and aesthetics perspective, would have never blamed them if they kept riding Lewis Brinson out at the major league level. Because it's a bad look to demote him. From the baseball side, it's perfect. But man, did you see Twitter the day that they demoted him? Oh, the guy they got for Christian Yelich. The same fan that retweets every Christian Yelich home run and lets every Marlins fan know about it. That's the same fan that got, they loved that day. Look at the mistakes. Look at the mistakes. Look at the mistakes. He's traded Yelich for Brinson. I mean, you know my opinion. No, no, they didn't actually. Brinson was just the most immediate advanced one. They traded Christian Yelich for Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, Jordan Yamamoto, and Isan Diaz. Monte Harrison's lighting up the world. Go ahead and listen to the podcast that we had with him on interviewing on earning their stripes. Isan Diaz also doing very well. Both of them should be called up at some point this year, if not latest opening day 2020. And Jordan Yamamoto just threw an amazing game today. I'm sure, we'll talk about him tomorrow on Earning Their Stripes. That trade will be judged by the collective assessment and performance of all of those players. But right now, the only people that we can judge it off of is Lewis Brinson and Christian Yelich, the MVP who's playing like Mike Trout. So, of course, it looks bad when you demote the, the, the centerpiece. But you know what? It had to be done. And that's why I tip my cap. At least they did it. At least they did it. Let him reset. Let him get every day at bats instead of treating him like a pinch hitter or fourth outfielder. Let him work with that with his hitting coach. Let him become the Lewis Brinson that many expect him to be. And while the certainty of him becoming that is much less today than when they traded for him, I would very cautiously warn you to not put the cap on a 24, about to be 25-year-old developmental player right now. The clock is ticking. The time is leaving quicker than we would expect. But Lewis Brinson can still be a part of that Brian Anderson, Jorge Alfredo core of veterans that will bring up the Monte Harrison, Asan Diaz's, the Victor Victor Mesa's, eventually the Jose Devers, whatever the free agents are that they bring up. Lewis Brinson demoted to AAA. We'll see when he gets called back up. Our third point in our first dialogue question was one that uh, I've, I got from the first time I did this podcast. Every single week, someone has sent something in about this absurd amount of shifting that the Marlins are doing with their defensive alignment. And absurd is, is your words, not mine. The Marlins, since 2017, have decided that they're going to be the most analytically driven defensive, uh, defensive team. In, two, in 2017, they first started going into analytics. They started like a baby, right? 8.5%. That's not even, it was, I believe it was 21st in Major League at that point. 2018, they say, you know what? We like this. We're going to try a little bit more. We're going to go from crawling to walking. 22.5% usage of defensive alignment shifting. That was good for ninth Major League Baseball. Then in 2019, they decided that they were going to go from crawling to walking to running a marathon because they are now currently the second most defensive shifting team in the National League, fifth in Major League Baseball, shifting well over 40%. That's a lot. That's a lot. But here's the thing. Is it working? Is it working because 
it's too early to actually see it with objective numbers. The, the sample size is way too small right now for me to be able to give you data and say, listen, guys, it's actually, it's okay. It's working okay. Or for you to pull up in the dialogue with me and say, listen, Danny, it's not working. Look, I have, I have the BABIP is much higher when it's shifted than with traditional defensive alignment. It's too early to say that at the moment. But man, the eye test is a resounding no, isn't it? The eye test is a resounding no to the question, is the defensive shifting working? And it's not a little no or a whisper. It is a loud no from every tweet that you can see, from every run that drops in because we were shifting pool, from every ball that gets hit right to the traditional shortstop. But oops, no one's there. So why does the eye test look like that? Again, I don't have any numbers for you yet. I, I will at some point. Mid-season when we have enough at-bats to see what a BIBIP is stabilized and see if it's really better to shift for the Marlins at the rate that they're using it or regular defensive alignment, I will have that for you. But right now, why is the eye test not working? One, and this is just pure psychology, because you are cued and primed to remember when it doesn't. You don't remember Brian McCann rolling over on a 2-2 pitch and hitting it to Rojas, who's positioned perfectly. You don't remember the same thing when Castro is in deep right or mid-right and a ball goes right to him and his and out. No, psychologically, we are we are primed to remember when it does not work. We're, we're primed to remember the extremes. We've become hypersensitive to the shift not working, so the eye test tells us no. Moreover, the extreme and this, I mean, I, look, first off, I agree the shifting isn't working right now. So I don't think I'm trying to convince you otherwise. But the other part of it is, is the extreme amount of time when it works, the significance rather of when it works versus when it doesn't work has been awful for the Marlins. When it works, it's, it's a lazy ground ball with zero outs, the shifting. When it doesn't work is like yesterday when they're pulling, they're doing a pulling shift for Brian McCann. And I believe it was McCann. He hits a little blooper which if there's anyone on that side of the base path, they catch it without any issues. But Brian Anderson has to run 150 feet and doesn't make the grab. Starling Castro doesn't make the grab. And I believe either one or two runs come in on a little bloop shot. See, we remember those. And for whatever the reason, it's felt like that has been what has been happening with the Marlins. The shifting has costed runs after runs after runs. And, and we see that by comparing our starters, so the baby-faced aces and Urania. FIP, fielding independent pitching, measure versus their ERA. If you look at someone's tweets and you say, man, the baby-faced aces are playing really well, and someone who doesn't have any concept of what pitching measures they should use goes and looks at ERA, they're going to say, what are you talking about? They're mid-pack. They're lower mid-pack, if anything. But then you go and you take a look at the FIP, and again, FIP, it values the pitcher what they can control while assuming that they're controlling the defensive element and the defensive variable for average play. Okay? So basically it says if the defense was playing at an average rate, they weren't all, you know, fantastic Adeni Hechevarias out there, or they weren't all Derek Dietrichs with a negative 36 defensive run saved. That's another conversation we could have. If they weren't that, if they were just average, what would the ERA look like? Well, all of a sudden, the baby-faced aces and Urania have a much better ERA. 
Why? Because the BABIP is just destroying the Marlins and because you don't see that in ERA, you see that with FIP. So the defensive shifting is is a tough pill to swallow right now, but what are my what are my opinions on it? Well, number 1, I have been yearning for the day that the Marlins become quote unquote an intelligent baseball team with analytics. I have been wanting that for a very very long time, which is why when when Jeter came over and when they decided, you know, we are going to start using analytics in the players that we target and in our defensive alignment even though Donnie does not use it in the offensive lineup structure, but whatever. When they started saying that, it was, it, was per, it was music to my ears. You know, say what you want about analytics and this new advanced thought of, of, of playing baseball. Typically, we see the more advanced teams, the Rays, the Astros, do better. And they do better with less. Just look at what the Rays are doing. So the Marlins finally start, and I am, you know, dancing and, and, and singing the praises that we're finally building this analytics department. And the first year that they really heavily use it, oh, man, it backfires. And it doesn't just backfire a little bit. It backfires seemingly every single game and in the most crucial, important parts of the game. And even though most of us understand that wins and losses is not what should dictate the success of the season, it's still Hurts, and it still sucks to see Brian McCann hit a little bloop shot to right field, Anderson and Castro be way out of position to get it, and two-run scoring. So I finally get my wish, and it is just, it's just a curse. So what do I see? Well, I wish that I could give you some beautiful fan graphs, operationalized, and objective numbers right now, but like I said, sample size is too small. But there is something that I see. What I see is that there is a significant disjoint and lack of communication between the fielding alignment and the pitch selection. Because, see, it's not just good enough to have an analytics department and to utilize analytics a lot. What makes the Rays and the Astros good is that they're savvy with the way that they use it. They know when to use it, and their pitchers have bought into using it. There's no disjointedness or lack of communication between the Astros staff and the Rays staff and the defensive alignment. But man, there is with the Marlins. And, you know, someone from the Marlins could say, oh, well, Danny, you're looking at it wrong and we have the numbers to show it. And I would I would welcome that. I'm just giving a simple, honest opinion. It looks like there is a level and lack of communication that is hurting the Marlins right now between the pitching, selection of pitching, location of pitches and the analytic side of the defensive alignment because see when the count is 2 and 2 and you're pulling to the when you're pulling to that you're shifting to the pool you probably should not hit or you should probably should not lay up a nice little change up low and away outside where the pool hitter could cue it opposite field where there is no one there that's not the way that pitching to the shift works and it's something that we see a lot. We see a lot of it with Jose Urania. We see a lot of it with Pablo Lopez too. And that's not to say that they're not following, you know, the analytics or, or that they're doing something wrong. There's just some lack of communication there. Go take a look at Pablo Lopez's FIP versus his ERA. And you'll laugh. <laughs> you'll laugh. This kid's, I mean, the kid is disgusting right now. And if you look at his FIP, hmm. 
oh, but if you look at that ERA, because you start to account for defensive ability and shifting, suddenly he looks like a mediocre pitcher. Jose Urania has so much movement in his in his pitches that it might not even be pitch selection. It might just be his control. But time and time and time again, we see the Marlins pitchers pitching against the shift that is behind them. And, and it sounds like I'm saying the Marlins pitchers, like it's their fault. It, it really, it might not be. I have no idea. I have no idea if the lack of communication and disjointedness is coming on the defensive alignment side, on the pitcher's decision of where he's pitching, or on Adfero and what he's calling and Wallach. I have no idea. I don't know, right? That's why we give opinions from outside. And if, if Adfero one day decides to talk about defensive dis alignment, you listen to him more than you listen to me. Because all I can see is what I see at the ballpark and what I see through the TV. I'm very honest about that. But time and time again, the pitching staff is pitching against the shift. And I, I don't get it. So you know what? Hopefully we get some answers. Hopefully we learn why an outside changeup on two and two is the pitch selection when you're pulling to the left-hand side and why that hitter can just cue it right to the right-hand side. Maybe the pitcher just missed his location, but man, then they've been missing a lot. Maybe the Marlins have just overcompensated for not using the shift enough. Hillman comes over and now we use it a lot. I, I, I don't have an answer for it, but I don't blame anyone for being tired of the shift because, I mean, I am a little tired of it and I've been wanting this for a long time. Do I think that they need to continue shifting and wait until the numbers stabilize yes and and this is why the marlins have nine wins on on may the 5th cinco de mayo this year is not about wins and losses it's about figuring out what works and what doesn't this year is not about wins and losses it's about figuring out what works and what doesn't it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline which leads us to the fourth point. And this was something that I had not scheduled, but a lot of people, a lot of people on Marlon's Twitter and even people that are usually very rational and very objective and very even keel, I don't know what it is about this series with the Braves, but they have gone over the top into panic mode with this roster, with the offensive production, and with the win-loss. And, and I get it. There's a lot to be worried about. No one is supposed to be overly excited about a nine-win team on Cinco de Mayo. I understand all of that, but what I don't understand is why anyone expected anything totally other, other different. I mean, we had, we had the conversation last week, right? I mean, I, we discussed it a little bit, what to look for. The last thing that we need to be looking for is wins and losses in year two of a rebuild. That's the last thing we need to look for, right? We, we spoke about who to look for. Brian Anderson, Jorge Alfaro, they're doing, they're doing great. They're doing solid. The baby-faced aces, they're doing great. They're doing solid. So then why all of a sudden this panic over win-loss and the way that, that players and, and, and 
you know, individuals that quite frankly might not even be here, likely will not even be here next year, the way that they're performing. So then I sent out this tweet. I sent out this tweet because the conversation was already taking place and I figured, you know, why not add my two cents to it? This is what it says. At All Right Miami, record of rebuilding teams in year two of their rebuild. Astros, 55 wins. Cubs, 61 wins. White Sox, 62 wins. Philly, 63 wins. Royals, 67 wins. Braves, 68 wins. Padres, 71 wins. Y'all need to get a hold of yourselves and breathe for a second. Go look up the two years after these. That was my tweet. Because guys, I mean, I get it. We're all, we all want more wins. Derek Jeter wants more wins, you know, whatever the case is. But really? What's, what's the average of wins here? Around 64? Not even. Around 64, 63 of the list that I just gave you. Those were all the second years of these teams' rebuilds. One year, two years. After that, they were all somewhat competitive teams. Most of them were competitive teams. Some went on to win the World Series. Most of them got into the playoffs. We need to relax. If this was uh, next year, right? And Isan Diaz and Monte Harrison and Victor Victor Mesa and Brinson and all of these players, Alfaro and Anderson, were up. And we were still nine and whatever we are. Then I would understand the panic. Because then these are the people that are supposed to be the answers for this. Right, these if, if those are the individuals that are up and they're just, I mean, a historically bad offense, then we start to panic because those are supposed to be the answers. But my friends, who are supposed to be the answers right now on the active roster? The two players that are actually playing well, the two players that are actually putting up above level, replacement level performance in Alfaro and in Brian Anderson. So the two players that are actually supposed to be part of the answer are a part of the answer thus far. There's no reason to panic over nine wins in Cinco de Mayo. Congratulations. We're going to get the first pick. We're close to it. The same way that the Astros and the Cubs and the White Sox and the Phillies and the Royals and the Braves and the Padres did. The same way that all of these rebuilding teams that have then led to success were able to do. So then where is the fear here? And, and I want the answer. I want you all to give me a, a concrete response. Where is the fear here? Maybe we had false expectations. I know I did. I had them, I believe for Fish Stripes, I said 71 wins. Which looking back now at that list that I just gave you would have meant that the Marlins were the best of that group in year two. I was wrong. I was wrong. I, I doubt they're going to get 71 wins now. Yes, I was wrong. But even if they're not, what is the issue here? Because see, if we were destined for 55 wins and it was because the baby-faced aces were playing awful and because Anderson was awful and because Offro wasn't what we thought he would be, then I would say, well, this is bad. But that's not what's happening. The players that have no future, most likely, are the ones not playing well. It's almost like this is year two of a rebuild and it's a transitional stage and none of it, at least when it comes to wins and losses, and most of the players holds much relevance moving forward. Do you think that in 2020 or 2021, when you walk into Marlins Park and you see a lineup of, uh, you know, I don't know, off the top of Victor, Victor Mesa, Brian Anderson, whoever you want to slot in a third, you're going to have, you're going to have, 
hopefully Lewis Brinson back up. But if not, don't worry. Isan Diaz and Monte, again, Monte Harrison, Brian Anderson, right? Jorge Alfaro, the baby-faced aces. When you walk, and hopefully a free agent addition, when you walk into that park, do you care that the Marlins won 55 games last year? I know I wouldn't. I wouldn't because I would be interested in what that developmental plan is. I would be interested in seeing Victor Victor Mesa and seeing Monte Harrison and seeing Asan Diaz. The following year, maybe seeing a Jose Devers, seeing whoever we add in the draft classes, seeing whoever they bring in, a Jose Abreu for first base, whatever the case is. This is a rebuild for a reason. And I'm sure that there was a lot of Astros, Cubs, White Sox, Phillies, Royals, Braves, Padres fans that also felt in year two, wow, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. But I'm sure that there were also some that are still fans today with those teams being competitive that are proud that they didn't panic in year two of a rebuild. But here's the distinction. Known is saying that you need to be happy. All right, and first off, I'm just giving an opinion. I'm not saying anyone has to do anything. No one's saying you need to be happy with the on-field. No one's saying, well, well I have to go to the ballpark. I, look, I get that. It's why I said last week that TV ratings are going to be important because people go to the ballpark for immediate satisfaction. They go to the ballpark for immediate wins and losses. It's very tough to convince someone to go to the ballpark for a team that has nine wins on Cinco de Mayo. I understand that, but TV ratings being up 6% from last year is, is solid because it shows that people are still tuning in, that somewhat there is a fan base that understands that 60% of this team is going to be different by next year, that the plan was never to win 70, 80 games in year two of a rebuild. The plan was to develop the players appropriately. And that if the baby-faced aces and if Anderson and Alfaro were struggling right now, then we could have concern, but they're not. And not only are they not, you look in the minor league level and, and you know, individuals, oh, we don't have much. Really? You have the top 13, you have, a, you have a top 13 farm system in baseball, according to Baseball America. And individuals like Zach Gallen, Jose Devers, Heran Encarnacion, Monte Harrison, Isan Diaz. I don't know if now you want to include Lewis Brinson down there, but you have players that are performing. You have players that are going to be immediate answers. When we, when you and I both go to Marlins Park on opening day 2020 and you see a lineup with Diaz and Harrison and maybe Mesa if he starts making a little bit more power contact. If not, then by Mesa we see him July 2020 or a little bit later. I don't, I don't think you're going to care that you went to go see John Birdie on Cinco de Mayo. I don't think you're going to care that the wins and losses wasn't what you wanted it to be in year two of a rebuild. I, I think we're going to understand for the most part why this was a transitioning year. Why the wins and losses did not matter much. Why Brian Anderson, Jorge Alfredo, the baby-faced aces, and the minor league players and prospects is where our focus likely should have been. I don't blame anyone for being angry. I don't blame anyone for being frustrated. But panicking in year two of a rebuild, especially when we have evidence after evidence of other rebuilds taking the same exact trajectory, Seems just a little bit premature on my end. If we're here again next year and all these prospects are up and the baby-faced aces are up and we're seeing no difference in wins and loss, hold me accountable.
Last week I said next year we could start seeing a little bit more of competitive play, maybe nearing 500 after that. The following year, maybe nearing a wild card berth that kind of 75 to 80 win range or 81 or 82, 83. And then 2022 really being the time that we're talking about an 85 plus win team. You hold me to that. Hold me accountable to that. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being held accountable, but let's breathe and let's relax a little bit with the win-loss record of the 2019 Miami Marlins to have maybe two offensive players that will be here when the time comes and the baby-faced aces. Especially when all six of those, if we're including the four baby-faced aces and Anderson and Offro, are playing the part at the moment. It's okay. We'll get there together. All right. I have, at the moment, three individuals that have contacted me seriously and scheduled about being on the show. We had a lot of news this week, so we pushed back uh, one individual for the following week. But I want you to let me know so that I can add you to the list. My my plan for that, and uh, I think that I should add a little bit more description here, is, of course, I'm always going to want to know your story, how you became a Marlins fan, what has kept you a Marlins fan, what you think of the Marlins moving forward. But I also want to make that recording about your strong suit. If you are heavy in analytics and you understand analytics well, let me know and we could have a conversation about that. If you want to focus on the rebuild, if you want to focus on a particular player, if you want to focus on yourself, I'm okay with that. You know, earning their stripes and the interviews are so great because we talk about the player, not just on the field, but off the field. I, I appreciate that too with fans. As we start moving towards getting fans on here, I want you to have that kind of understanding. What can you offer? What can you talk about? And contact me, call me so we can add you to the list. As always, if you've liked the podcast, make sure to give a like, leave a review. Seriously, leave a review, good, bad, indifferent, whatever the case is. We want the feedback. Make sure to reach out to me both on Twitter with All Right Miami, through Fist Stripes, through my email on Fist Stripes. Like and subscribe anywhere that podcasts are found. And as always, I appreciate every single one of you that logs in and hits play. Go Fish. <laughs>